0: to Ruminations on Tony's Tall Tales, where stories take the stage. I'm your host, Anthony Pavlich, and with me today are two very special guests. My main man, Mitch, who is the host of Ruminations from the Red Room, and Triple C. He is the host of the podcast, Brevity Box. Um, Definitely check them out. We are on the Ruminations Radio Network. You can view us there at ruminationsradionetwork.com. And they definitely have some great content to share with you. How
1: are you today, gentlemen? I'm good, Charlie. How are you? <laughs> uh,
2: pretty, pretty good. Thanks for having. Thanks for inviting me, man.
0: Yeah, appreciate you uh, joining as well. Um, this is a very uh, special episode today. We are paying tribute to the late and great Sir Sean Connery. We were saddened to hear of his passing last month at the age of 90. Although he had been retired from acting for some time, he undoubtedly left an indelible impression in a collection of work that will stand through time. Having portrayed one of the most famous characters in fiction works, he will most notably be remembered as Bond. James Bond of his filmography contains many other memorable characters and lines it's hard to say that this singular character does not hold the most sway so let's dive right into the heart of it (laughs) was sean connery the best (laughs) (laughs) just
1: just diving right in it's going full
0: speed baby (laughs) yeah (laughs) i
1: don't know what are your thoughts mitch uh I mean for me I I I wouldn't say that I'm a hardcore huge Bond fan. I always go see the new Bond. I'm I I really enjoy the Bond films. Is he the best James Bond? I don't think that even needs answering cuz it's pretty clear. I think so. I don't you know, I uh I always associate the role with him. And I know that that's kind of unfair to some of the later actors cuz a lot of them have done fantastic work but he really set the stage. He set the bar really high. And one thing that I always believe is that we're always getting better, right? We're always getting, we're expanding and we evolve. And I mean that even in the arts. So I would have expected by now, someone would have surpassed him as the best James Bond, but in my mind, it still hasn't happened.
0: Hmm.
2: Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's really good. Uh, You know, I, um, I you know it's funny cuz when I re- when I was a young like when I was a boy I remember Roger Moore but mm. I do I do think he's the the preeminent Bond figure like I think he set the bar for masculinity and sort of how that character was suave that they've tried to meet with the following choices for Bond and I think it's something that's almost stuck in the in the mind of bond fans and why it's so hard to adjust to certain uh certain bonds over others right like people didn't go for timothy dalton he was masculine but he didn't have that debonair suave handsome thing and they you know as they get around those different benchmarks it's all stuff that was set by sean connery that 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 image of what Bond is, I think, was all him carving it out in, in the eyes of cinema or movies. That's that's how I think of it.
0: Yeah, and that that's the question I wanted to pose to you both is, do you think because he left such a mark as the first, also too, he had the advantage of being the first, that it almost made it a little unfair to anybody who followed after that? Because you, you did. You left your mark and you kind of the entire world and the audience that was their first inter introduction to james bond so it's kind of it's, it's one of those things where could they just not get it out of their head anymore? well charlie made a
1: charlie made a really good point when he he said so something about the way he said it was that uh like the following actors I, you know, damn it. I'm sorry, man. I'm just going to misquote you. No, that's right. <laughs> but I, I think the, the, it, it really is like every bond afterwards was kind of at least a little bit modeled on him. So they, everyone was kind of leaning back on that. And I think it's going to take something enormously huge to get out from underneath that shadow, Like cast a female bond. And I want to get too ahead of ourselves mm-hmm. and get into that discussion. But I think if you don't do that, Everyone will always be in that shadow, like you said, of the first.
2: I agree with it's that. It's tough to redefine. I think yeah. that's probably, I think that's very spot on from where I'm sitting. I think that that's the only way you can get away from that, uh, let's say, paradigm, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. like
2: that. And I think that's the thing. I mean, it's outlined in a book. You know, Bond, the Bond character is something on paper. And then you've got somebody like, you know, he's iconic, in in anything, right? I mean, I think the the memory that always sticks—that's fun because it sticks—is Highlander, you know. <laughs> and but it's just even in these cases where he's other characters, you just you feel. I—that's what I don't know enough about Sean Connery to know this, but it would almost seem like it was such a pairing that Bond as a character had these suave. Uh, slick, good-looking, sort of masculine. All these different uh, switches are flipped, and it just so happens to be that Connery came in and put his like permanent mark and spin on it to a point where you know, even the cadence of things like "Shaken, Not Stirred" or <laughs> Bond, James Bond, you know, it's it's all carried through, and it's now to the point where if uh, you know, like I was saying, Roger Moore timothy dalton those are all guys that did a great bond but they didn't necessarily change the character until this most recent one who's clearly very athletic comparatively to other bonds you know and but i think sean connery just sort of left his mark and people have been busy trying to wear daddy's boots you know
0: (laughs) yeah so yeah (laughs) so then is is do we have to qualify it then where is he the best James Bond as the character as written? Yeah. Or as just the best version of James Bond.
1: I think he's the best interpretation of the character that you could you could probably get right now but we always say that until we see something better, right? So I mean, he wasn't even my first James Bond. I mean, I think I'm um, with Charlie. I, Roger yeah. Moore was probably my first. Oh, did you say Timothy Dalton was your first Bond? No,
2: Roger Moore was my first. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Dirty. (laughs) That sounds really, it's a great conversation. (laughs) It was
2: Roger Moore all the way.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, for me, even seeing other Bonds first, or, you know, he still, you go back to that because my dad was a fan and he said, okay, let me show you the real James Bond, (laughs) you know, and it's tough. I mean, Hollywood, they've got to have it you know, a hard time stepping into roles. I mean, there are a lot of them like that out there, like Batman, Superman, you know, these larger than life characters that you try and recast, but sometimes living under the shadow of someone who did it first.
2: Well, it it makes me feel like if I can offer um, maybe most significant, you know, and, and maybe if you go further than that, you might say most significant, masculine male interpretation maybe best boomer interpretation of 007 you know you can i think you can keep narrowing it down because he is those things yeah and then and then i think about movies like in like flint and you know even uh spoof versions of it you know like uh what is it dragnet or naked gun characters that are supposed to be the opposite of that there's there's still these this shell that I feel like they're trying to to fit in that was of course carved out initially by the the writing for James Bond, but Sean Connery brought it to life in a way that I mean, think about that casting director, right? That guy <laughs> was like Sean Connery. And and nobody knew I'd love to hear that story. That it was gonna, you know make the that difference to where now we get to a uh, uh it did, really i mean all the names right was it it was timothy dalton and then was it pierce brosnan i think
0: pierce, so yeah pierce was after um well i think there was that in between george latinsbury he just got then, one right yeah he got one but then pierce was essentially the name remington
2: steel remington so. steel i like remington, I, remington I steel but again it's that same that suaveness that 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 particular set of if you were building a character, it's all stuff that Connery did in a way that these guys are putting their own spin on Connery's way. I don't think they're putting their own spin on the Bond the character. character. Yeah, I think they're doing it as Bond uh, at uh, per Connery, and that's. I think it's interesting if like looking at it that way. It's going to be interesting to see what they do, but I still think even there you're going to have homage you're always going to have some homage to sean connery in that role
0: yeah and what's interesting is ian fleming did not appreciate in the beginning uh, sean connery's casting he was actually felt ironically sean connery was not rough enough was too refined and at that time connery had not done a lot of um he wasn't he wasn't like a big big star he had been working exactly on time but he he was not the atypical star yet and it wasn't until james bond where he just you know blew up into the zeitgeist but it was interesting that the author of bond had initially seen him as not rough enough or at least have that edge that bond was written originally written as and and that's what's very interesting about Connery is I think he fits and why everybody thinks he is the best James Bond is he does probably out of all the Bonds, the best straddling between both spheres where he has that rough and tumble. You really think that Connery could throw down. If you
1: know, he he, he actually seemed more rough and tumble as the years went on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It, the years did him
2: favors. Oh uh, yeah, I he think. did great. Yeah. But for me, <laughs> okay. that turning point's Untouchables. I know we're, I'm jumping ahead, but that that I think is where the like the modern image, our Gen X and the beyond. That's where I think it took a turn and became something different. But I'm jumping ahead. And if you
0: re-watch some of those older Bond films, you do see kind of that a little bit where you can understand oh. I could see where he might have been a little too debonair, but mm. he straddles both of the lines. I think better than most. Where he has, he could, he could throw on the suit and tie, but then he could jump off the boat, you know, and dive into the ocean.
2: He's Chris Hemsworth, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that that's he would be Thor if he were young and mm. and here today. He's got the and blonde. He, <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, he's got that build. You know, that's the thing. He he is a force and he kind of just carries that with him in every role. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I how do you not I don't know of another I mean, maybe when Dwayne Johnson is 70 and he stars in The Rock starring The Rock and it's a <laughs> remake of The Rock, maybe then we'll have another uh, you know, older guy that again, you know, Still had a lot of those qualities that were very James Bondish, right?
1: Well, he had a I big mean, like re rebirth in those or in the nineties, didn't I mean what was he doing doing in the eighties and then like in the late eighties, nineties? I mean did He, really he had kind
0: of a re re uh, renaissance. Do you mean Connery? Part? But no, we we talking about Connery, like what he ended up he I
1: mean, like kind the, of grew up again,
0: you know, like later in life. We had time bandits, man. Brought them back. <laughs> really? <it>? God <laughs> about that. That's
2: <laughs> true. There you but, know,
0: but you,
2: you gotta admire, like I admire that. I, I I don't I don't wanna jump ahead of anything, but I really uh I have a comment about when he gets into some of those movies.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um I I was gonna mention into kind of quickly go back to the, um, the dovetailing between his bond and the other bonds. He, again, straddled that line, I think, very well. And I think that's why it's been difficult for other bonds to essentially, you know, elevate in, in the audience's mind as, you know, being as good or even better than Sean Connery. Um, what's interesting is Daniel Craig, what, my first bond was actually um, Pierce Brosnan. And Pierce ended up... Really? Yeah, yeah which is really fascinating because Goldeneye was 25 years ago now, that's which cheap. is shocking to me. And, you know, I think I'd, you know, heard of my dad, you know, talk about Bond, but there was never any sort of, you know, introduction to the older movies back then for me. And I just remember watching Goldeneye, and I, I think I saw it on the, um, the theaters. And I just was enamored by it. I just love the, um, just the excitement, the action, the yeah, very very sophisticated spy. Um, and just well, you're like a the
1: sophisticated world. guy. I can <laughs> see how that the appeal to you. Like <laughs> well, you always yeah, really that struck kind of me.
0: Like, <laughs> exactly. That was like in the heyday when I was like at my peak. Your peak Trying
1: sophistication to. guy. <laughs> <ball>. <laughs> listen, listen,
2: this is seriously one of the best come on lines ever. It's to go up to somebody and go, you don't understand. I'm at my peak sophistication. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we miss this opportunity, we'll work it. Okay. Dinner at
1: eight.
0: <laughs> this is it right now. Yeah. I think Well, also I was trained really hard. I think, peak in the sense that i was i was really pushing hard to to lean into it and uh over time i think it's aged a lot a lot better (laughs) it's a little bit more refined
2: well i i found i mean i thought pierce brosnan i was such a remington steel fan it was one of those shows this is funny okay so my mother is has crushed on sean connery for as long as I can remember. Like, and it would be in that that sort of nineteen fifties way. Anytime we'd see something and Sean Connery did anything, it would be <laughs> one of those, oh, what a man. Kind like, of yeah, you know, right, exactly. <laughs> and I remember we would watch Remington Steel. Now I never drew the connection before, right? Mm-hmm. And she becomes a huge Pierce Brosnan fan. And I remember at the time timothy dalton had gotten announced as bond we were hoping it was going to be pierce brosnan and i remember being upset that it wasn't interesting you know so when gold and i came out it was uh i was very excited about it you know and I, i know this isn't necessarily just about bond but i think there's some correlation there you know that's those characters are characters that i think are all paying this kind of homage to that. <clears throat> Maybe a Bond trope, if there was one, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, you have Remington Steele and those kinds of characters, this debonair suave. And then Moonlighting, yeah. if you think about it, was the the uh, Bruce Willis's, was the hammy, you know, uh, uh, version of that, still that kind of character, right? There's still yeah. these,
1: these um, like, that was blue-collar Bond right. <laughs> it's moonlighting. You know, you, you said it's not about Bond and yeah, it's, this is about Sean Connery, sir, Sean Connery, but what does it say about the man and the role and the impact he had that, I mean, if you talk about Sean Connery, you talk about Bond. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, kind of what we're talking about.
0: Yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting because it it's, he, when you do think about it and this is one of the, questions I wanted to pose was why do you think Sean Connery, not just for the character, but uh, why is he remembered so fondly? What what was it about him that just kind of struck a chord with a lot of audiences?
1: Mitch? That accent.
2: (laughs) Amongst other things, sure. Amongst
1: other things. I, I don't know. And I, you know, I don't know if you want to address this or or get into this and it's hard for me to always to, it's, it's hard to separate artists from, uh, art. It's hard to separate, some of the, you know, the issues that come up with a, uh, you know, yeah, everyone's human. He's just a human, he's just a human man doing a job. Um, so with some of the things he said, some of the positions he's had, or he had, um, it's it's hard to understand exactly what endeared him for so long for you know to so many um i don't know how well it would you know uh he, he would fly today in our environment now but you know he he was old school he was the old guard and president. what's that i said he might be president <laughs> oh, Caramel. oh. <laughs> I <don't really> <laughs> um, no, but i mean what I, my favorite Sean Connery, and I you know this is a i know he's got a ton of so many credits to his name, but my favorite role was dr Jones senior
0: mm-hmm.
1: And oh, that's because yeah. he was like my, you know, he was like my grandpa. He, was, you know, but still had this wonder and this excitement and this, and he just exuded that in any role, whether it was in the Rock when he was playing a hard ass, or whether he's Doctor Jones or whether he's Bond, there was something, the twinkle in the eye, that, you, you, regardless of anything else, you still couldn't help but be attracted to that. It's just something. It's ineffable, and it's something in human nature we just sometimes can't define. Yeah,
2: uh, I gotta. I got to piggyback on your first sentiment there too. I I am a hundred percent guilty of separating the artist from the art to a point where I'm not, I'm thinking of them as two separate things. I'm not saying that in defense of anything. I just, that's, I'm such a huge movie fan and I'm more focused on the character in that movie and the film. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, and I, I, I sort of feel the, I don't want to say right, but I feel like I have the ability to cast, you know, walk and chew bubblegum, right? Like I can say, <laughs> man, what a great role. He's really, you know, not a good person and, and and then kind of outline how that works. And the joke I always say to people about this is I still listen to Thriller. You can do the math on oh. like that one if you want to.
1: Yeah, um, I, wish I, I wish I was better at that. I, I wish I were. I think that that's a, a, an admirable trait, but I, I kind of agonize over it.
2: I certainly have my moments. I I, I want to say that, but I feel like when you're like the beauty of movies and stuff to me is that you can forget about you're in this agreed upon bubble of fiction, right? That that you're uh, in my mind in my crazy mind I guess. But um not I don't know. I feel like um you know, I don't know how he would fly today either. But the question of why he is he so well remembered I think is yeah, I made the joke about Chris Hemsworth earlier, but I think when you're well-spoken, um, charming, good-looking, and you fit a lot of like widely interpreted, sort of universally interpreted as uh, iconic on a lot of things, he's masculine. He sort of defines masculinity for for all, in general, but also very much for his time. And the character of Bond is sort of that. You know, I mean, the perfect marriage of very smart, very charming, very intelligent, very cultured, very capable. very manicured, very tough. He can fight. He's he's Superman without superpowers. He's Batman in a tux with a smile and and not a batarang. You know, and so it's like I think he they really cast it so well that he fit those things so well, and I think that's what. The people of his time, like young men of his time, whether you even like Bond or not, you sort of like didn't have a problem with Sean Connery as Bond, you know. And I yeah. think to, the, to, to what you were saying before, one of my favorite movies in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, it, it says something about the man that he would be able, having that ability to be uh, the tough guy as represented before and after that movie he totally plays this vulnerable dad which is amazing and he and Harrison Ford does all the heavy lifting as the tough guy to the point where the the comedy brilliance in that movie for Sean Connery to be the straight man and how he's not impressed with his son's toughness and or his name you know <laughs> i just he's he was an incredible actor maybe is i mean do you know was he uh trying to get away from being saddled with bond was he running away from bond do you think in some of these movie choices i wouldn't be surprised
0: i i think for every person who's played the, the bond uh, character it's 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 a heavy it's a heavy burden because again like you said you, it's very easy for you to be typecast but then also to it, it's the double-edged sword you know with that you have a sort certain level of uh, notoriety and cachet where you can try to leverage into other works but then a lot of times yeah they want to pigeonhole you into that type that archetype because it's been so successful so i mean da- daniel craig before this last one um he was i think because i think also too it takes so much out of you you know when you, when you think about these these uh, or at least from my experience with seeing a little bit of the business, th- there's a there's a a level at that stage where it's just so much of it is riding on you. <laughs> like you have to produce at such a high level, uh, very consistently, for a long period of time, that it becomes very draining. It you seems know, like now all become right? Yeah, they've become very big um, productions uh, in terms of size, scope, so much money, so many things are writing on it. Um, so much is tied into it now uh, beyond just the movie. Um, and then, too, like, you know, if you're coming after some of the greats that have ever done it, then, yeah, there's 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 a weight to it that just must be utterly exhausting. And not not to count the physical effort that you're putting into these pictures that are becoming bigger and if we got to you know we've got to make the next one you know
2: well i feel like daniel craig has carved like if if anything he's been in my opinion the one who's been able to sort of make the character his own yeah. through his physical fitness and through some of that more um kinetic yeah uh, uh, atmosphere that he brings to the character and and He's very, you know, again, fits a lot of those uh, same standards that Sean Connery sort of carved out. And, you know, in kind of what you were saying, as exhausted as he may have been, maybe that's what led him to go for uh, some of those movie choices like Highlander, which I I still love to this day. I love seeing him ride up on his horse in that movie. That is great. I don't know why he has a katana. I forgot, but I think it's also great. <laughs> and uh, you know, it just I love that movie as a kid. And then Untouchables. <laughs> up, <man>. You know, <laughs> he's a Spaniard from Spain. Yeah, right. <laughs> With a With short, accent. <laughs> as and I mean, uh, bringing a knife to a gunfight. Him delivering that line, and and the Untouchables. I thought was a another. You know, I just think all of that. I like when I see actors of, of, uh, like Sean, well, I guess there's nobody like Sean Connery, but you know, people taking on roles that are sometimes wacky seemingly, but they still, you can't fault them for any of them. You love them in everything. Yeah. I still think the rock was the, you know, that, I still think that to me was the 90s, like Sean Connery rebirthed in another, he had three or four different lives. It almost seems
0: like, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, yeah, I think, um, I don't remember if he's ever said it specifically, um, in an interview or anything, but yeah, I definitely would not be surprised if, you know, that's why he took some of those roles or he looked at certain scripts, Wanting to, because, you know, it's a long shadow. Um, When he's the man who would be king, right? I mean,
2: that movie was, you know, nobody's seen that movie now. But in those times, people like, my parents still love those movies. American Movie Classics plays anything like that. That's what they think of.
0: So, was, so for Mitch, was, um, that character um dr jones your favorite out of his works
1: (laughs) uh one of my favorites i i mean if not probably my favorite um i also uh was was very fond when as i was when i was a kid of darby o'gill and the little people and my dad used to sing that song that he sings to his bonnie lass you know (laughs) and so i mean i have warm feelings for that one and i'm you know i i i think the older bond uh, older bonds he looks even when i just talk about him i just think he's bond um uh, older older Sean connery is, is one of my favorites but uh yeah probably dr jones was just my favorite role just because i was also such a big indiana jones fan so there was something about seeing james bond be indiana jones's dad that just made a lot of sense it
0: did it did I was, make sense like, okay of yeah of course i believe that completely And it was really uh, touching the, um, the little note that Harrison Ford had sent out after hearing the passing. Just it, you could tell you could tell too when two actors have chemistry, mm-hmm. because you know they had to have so much fun because it just it exudes out of out of their performance and out of that whole uh, that whole picture. Their their relationship uh, just seemed like it fit. Seemed like it was very easy for them, and just you know, well, comedy's hard, right? And to, it's, yeah. I, I mean,
2: Indiana Jones would always have these great moments of of just great comedy throughout the series, and to put two icons together, and you know, both pillars of masculinity in a lot of yeah. ways, yeah. and to have them be able to. You know, for those of you who haven't seen the la- Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the- there's a scene where they are tied back to back in these chairs and a fire is breaking out and they're trying <laughs> to figure out how to survive. And the way that they work with each other and the way that it comes off, it's this crazy juxtaposition that ends up being hilarious. Physical comedy and the timing's great for the those are two great a actors making it look easy
1: my favorite part in that scene was when he's, he's he says uh i'm as human as the next man he's like i was the next man because oh they were they were fantastic in that movie together yeah absolutely
0: so charlie was i think you've already mentioned a little bit of some of your favorites um was there one was Highlander one of the one of those pictures that th- you found? I
2: think the, the character roles that I'm drawn to with him are these sort of um you know, like a Mr. Miyagi role, you know, like in Highlander yeah. he plays this wise, uh, you know, giving, you know, leadership and direction. And then in the same thing in, in uh usual suspects, he's this yeah beat cop who, you know, knows how to do this. He's going to give uh, direction to Elliot Ness and, and and coach him through almost like a father figure. I think he played those roles well. I think it's, I admire characters who, in movies, who die. I like the loss bit. I like the acting of that. And I think he plays that role great in both events. It was, um, it I, I, took me right there with him. So I just feel like the acting and and especially in the Untouchables was great. I have a hard time not just you know, fawning all over the rock because I don't I think the whole trope of tough old man was sort of put into the zeitgeist right there. Like and and I know it sounds in a weird way, it was another character role that he's just defined. Like I, I can't think of all the examples right now, but I feel like there's probably quite a few of the first image you see of this 70-year-old man carved from stone. In The Rock, it's the, the long hair, this, you know, being marched through. And uh, I still think that tough old guy trope, that was old Bond, effectively. I because, think you're right. I but, don't
1: think that that was represented on film before that. That was, what, 96. Yeah, well, I mean, like, when was there ever a, a you know, a seventy-year-old man, you know, or he, what, in he went with in his sixties, you know, yeah, or, you like <laughs> that was never done before. I think not that I can think right. of,
2: not that I could think of like that, and and he was, you know, a a, a, a seedy trickster <laughs> out for himself, Bond mm-hmm. character, and I just think again, there's there's him taking a role that if it were played by anybody else, might have been way forgettable but yeah you know i, I just say I, that that those are my three and if i had to narrow it down to one in a tough tie between the rock and untouchables i'd probably go with the rock just too much fun too much connery love in that movie <laughs> thank you for proving my point <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I and I didn't know this too when I was looking at it. Um, he had turned down the role of Simon Gruber in Die Hard with a Vengeance, oh. due to he felt the uh, diabolical nature of the character was a little too much. Thank um, you, Mister Connery, because uh, Irons. Yeah, that went to uh, okay. Jeremy Irons. Yeah,
2: I, I I think he would. I don't think it would have fit him. I really don't. I really think he was smart.
0: Yeah. yeah, and so you know, looking at his film, because I was trying to decide too, what what were some of the standouts uh, for me? And you know, he didn't do a lot of work after um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and that was in two thousand three. Um, Ahead of its time, the, right? Isn't yeah. that weird to think about that? Yeah, it's really, and it'd be interesting because I'd, I'd really want to rewatch that now. And see how that holds up because yeah, I feel like that was uh, one of those films that was just it was too early. Well, <laughs> I mean, the whole was...
2: concept of it really went, kept coming back, right? Whether it was uh, Hellboy or the Avengers or I mean, fill in the blank, X Men, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen had a different take on it.
0: Yeah. So before that, it was Finding Forrester, uh, then Entrapment with uh jones entrapment. That was a good one. Yeah. Um
2: <laughs> she made lasers sexy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> swish. You know. And even then he was still this again this paternal guide character. He's the he's the best. You, you know, know, there's a
1: lot of complaint uh and it and rightly so in I think in the industry that there's always this great age difference there's a discrepancy between like oh an old an older man actor role can be paired with like a younger female role and no one seems to have a problem with it um but it's it's very 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 rarely flipped right i yeah. think we have we have sir john connery to blame for that like you believe it when there's like a 60 year old guy and this 24 year old uh you for some reason you're like oh yeah i could see that yeah so i mean he really kind of set that this this bad precedent in motion that it was believable because he was so damn sexy
0: (laughs) well it's it's and it's probably a sense of too kind of what we were touching on a little bit why we think he's uh, remembered so fondly is he did exceed this there was this presence about Mm -hmm. him and i think because of the archetype that we built up Mm-hmm. as he he almost was the prototypical typical of a, a sage of the um the wisened uh, shaman you know that would impart knowledge and wisdom and you know you look at the films and yeah a lot of it is that these younger characters looking to him for answers and for guidance and leadership and you, you're you're probably you know totally right mitch is that that precedent was set and almost in an ironic way it was set by bond you know Bond, like you follow Bond, the reckless, you know debonair, hard nosed spy who will get the job done at no cost or at any cost, and you know you can rely on him.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the guy represented his generation. Um, yeah, probably in on on and off screen, he was a you know he is a billboard for for what a lot of people thought was okay a lot of people accepted a lot of people strove for he was 15 about 15 when world war 2 ended right being 90 so i mean what that put him back yeah so i mean you know uh, without you know go without going crazy on on his real life antics i mean from an from an era of peak masculinity and uh a health, they have a, a dose of chauvinism and and yeah. sexism, and you know he he did things that to us now are unacceptable.
1: Yeah, know, but that's and, us. That's that's also you know, and I'm not and again not making excuses or anything. But you're right. Like over time, we change, we evolve, we get better. Even he did from his early comments, yeah. and I think you might be referencing, for example, like hitting a woman. Yeah from those early days to his final days or some of the last interviews he gave, he even uh, became more woke, if you will. And uh, you know, we don't like for me, I don't ever want to excuse the mistakes of the past. Obviously things were done and and were incorrect, especially according to our view now, but we will look back 20, 30 years from now and even our views will seem archaic or, or unevolved. So we're always evolving. And I think we have to allow room for that. You know, I'm, I, Absolutely. I yeah. think
2: it's just an answer to the question of, of why, like yeah. if you look back yeah. and we want to know, well, why did he do that? You know, I think it's, it's, it's not similar to the example I'm about to display with, <laughs> with, with the exception of the fact that it, it's not aged well and it's not something that people look at the same way as they would have in say 1955. You just yeah. don't break out the paddle with the holes in it to totally whip the backside of your child as much as maybe people felt like it was okay or yeah. dad put it, pulling his belt off or, you know, these are things that are from a different century. Like I think yes. people for, forget that it's a different century and I'm not yeah. excusing it and I'm glad yeah. we've gotten past it, but he is, uh, you know, that's who he was. That's where he was from. Right.
0: Yeah. Really. and it's very interesting uh re-watching uh some of those earlier bond films and there are a lot of cringe-worthy moments in it in <laughs> yeah them. and yeah. it's interesting to see because obviously this is kind of like a bond problem you know in the sense of uh this is the character and you know how do we deal with that now in this time and this place um It goes a little bit to, I think you earlier mentioned, um, Mitch, about, you know, the possibility of uh, Bond becoming a woman um, in future releases. Um, And that's an interesting topic. And that's obviously something that we'll probably keep um, discussing for, unfortunately, some time.
1: Can I sneak in a question real quick for you, sir? So without having to give away too much with your spec script, what challenges are you facing with
0: adapting that character and avoiding some of those pitfalls I think just being knowledgeable um sure one of the things I think Pierce Brosnan had talked about uh later on in the films that he was doing was he really he did get tired of the quips Uh in the sense that it just felt like they were just put in there because they uh, the writers felt like it had to be in there to um you know for whatever reason either to make sure that bond stayed bond or that was just the character so these innuendos uh these sexual advances um yeah
1: where is the core of the character at what point do you does the character change
0: yeah yeah exactly and i think i think it's it's interesting just it's it's more and i think also too the way the way out of it is making dealing with some of the those issues within the character itself you know like um confront having him t- confront some of those things maybe uh, head on whether that be a Ooh, personification of, of the situation that he's in or he's presented with an obstacle that kind of puts him in uh you know in Are line with that Are you
2: pitching a mini series about Bond's therapy sessions cuz I'm <laughs> 100% in <laughs> I want to see this breakdown of bond, bond. terms. Yeah, just he—he he slowly comes to terms with the man he's always been, and he's horrified. But,
0: <laughs> yeah, and without revealing too much, it's—it's it's almost I'm going a, a little bit meta with it. And in, in yeah, the script, I just so. had this
2: slow melodic version of Secret Agent Man playing in my head, like all sad
1: and teary. You could get Mel to sing it.
2: I'm a secret.
0: Agent <laughs> <man>. <laughs> yeah but that's an interesting question Mitch I think I think it's just not having just being conscientious you know of of not throwing those in there just for the sake of you know having a purpose if if they need to be in there there's a specific purpose for them but then also to being conscientious of you know yeah not, not furthering the um, perpetuating the cycle. Gotcha.
2: Can I, uh, I? I got something a comment on that, and I, I actually I like. So I think it's important to. Um, or I think it's really impacting when you can capture, someone having like you were saying, kind of, presenting a moment ago about having to be confronted with it in some way. I like that in i like that kind of character development in real life with real people i also like that kind of character development in stories on any in any format books movies television i like seeing the awkward uncomfortable growth of a character having to learn and and you know even even if it's a clunky process until they get to a point where you know, they've learned their lesson or whatever the transition is. I like that. That formula is something that I'm really, I like that kind of, I like being a part of that. And I think if you're, if you, even if it's just friends or, or people that um, maybe stumble into those things, I think it's important to capture those moments and kind of go through them. I think it's kind of a necessary um,
0: conundrum, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting now, uh, watching, yeah, it's, it's, it's very layered, I think, with, with the whole discussion and where we are now. And, you know, but I, and I think, though, it comes back again to, um, unfortunately, in our society, we haven't had a good um, transition of being able to reconcile our ability transferring to boyhood into manhood and i think that's what's caused a lot of these issues to arise is because uh we are staying boys very far into our, our the age where we should be uh, men
1: Have you been talking to my mom <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I don't know I don't know Mitch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I take your point But I think that, that part of that This is a huge Discussion right but I think That um, You don't have a A lot of You're starting to get I think A more modern representation Of what that term Means and I think for If you're talking about the predominant uh, generation of people that's in charge all the way through to movies let's say up until 2010 the idea of leading man or masculinity or uh virile uh sexuality in men it's always taken and, and we've kind of alluded to that with the bond character somebody set a a mold for it and like mitch referenced we've progressed and evolved and grown and now those terms and those things are not there's a lot more diversity to what that could mean. There's a lot of different kinds of men. And I think now you've got a time where we're trying to figure out what those different kinds of men have in common. If you're gonna talk about those those, you know, minim, like break it down to what universal characteristics exist in them. It you know some of that stuff that was represented by Sean Connery as a man and Sean Connery as Bond the character are just not they're not as ubiquitous anymore right There's a lot of different ways they could do that and and you don't know yeah. if the world would accept it like it's smarter than to go with a woman Bond because I don't think the world the world as a whole probably would be uh, sadly not accepting of a homosexual bond.
0: I think I understand your point. I th- that's. yeah. You see what I mean though? I, I see. I think I see what you mean. I think more of my reference was to um, just the base archetype. And I think what's, you know, um, and allowing too much of the shadow archetype instead of it being fully integrated into the psyche it's become overriding. So then those qualities are predominant. So those those negative shadow qualities are predominant that then turn into, um, you know, abusive, you know, towards people, to women, uh, subjugating uh, others, and just being unkind and unruly, being um, masochistic. Um, and just we just haven't had as a society been well equipped to allow proper growth into a more harmonious integration with those archetypes so that's why we remain childish we may remain uh, boyish in our attitudes and our beliefs and our perspectives and then that in turns uh, keeps us from you know treating people especially women with the, um, the respect the admiration that is appropriate, you know, we, we, we tend to go the reverse. And I think, so you think things are getting worse. I don't think it's getting worse. I just think the root cause of it is something that we haven't really addressed yet. Hmm. I think we're starting to understand. I think what we are at was we're understanding the effects of that behavior. We just haven't gotten to the place where we know how to actually begin um, resolving it from the root. We're still just dealing with the symptoms. And I, I, think I think
2: the that... root's dying. I think it's being yeah. read I think so. out. I think it's the older generations and their teachings on that thing are, are fading away now with time
1: and natural, you know. I true. think we're growing, but... to, growing to a point where these definitions several times i I think we've come back to that idea of um what's a man what's masculinity all these things and i think we're getting to a point where those definitions are becoming less important it's more about what kind of a, a person you are what kind of a human you are there's no single definition of what's masculine and eventually i think when we are become truly enlightened we'll recognize that those things are really kind of uh, inconsequential, that it's the core of the being that matters most, and, and we won't seek
0: those <laughs> definitions anymore. Well, yeah. true, but I, I think that's the thing. It's not so much um, talking about labels. I'm really talking about the biology and 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 the, the physical that needs to be understood and then properly integrated and balanced. I think what's happening is we can't have one extreme or the other and we can't go so far where we lose some of the actual, the, the what's the proper word that I want to use? The, it's not that the archetypes are inherently bad. It's just the problem is we go one extreme or the other. We don't properly integrate both halves and mm-hmm. therefore get to that place that you're talking about, Mitch, where it's no longer um, defined or being seen as a label but it's just a matter of moving through the world in a more harmonious and all-encompassing manner and i think that's that's we don't want to lose the strength of this particular archetype but we still want to be able to have the sensibilities and the softness of the other archetype you know and then integrate both of them into basically superman
2: (laughs) (laughs) well i i kind of feel like that that To me is a statement that that archetype isn't necessarily ever going to go away, but its place in in like how it fits into our world as a culture is not the same. Not only because it's it's like the idea of having uh, that Sean Connery character, it's not gone, but it's also not the the mainstay. You know, things. It's not. It doesn't. There's a lot of different things that that archetype doesn't represent. So it has a place at the table, but the table's got a lot more seats, and that those seats are filled with. I like that vision. Different archetypes, right? And you know, like it almost has to be a a timestamp. Like this is this is masculinity circa twentieth century, nineteen (laughs) sixty. And you yeah. kind of have a bubble of
1: what all that means.
2: And also it also provides
1: a dynamic range right, right. for your different characters, whatever you're doing.
2: And that look, that might be, I, I, like I said, I think that that being represented as a part of our world is right. Cause it is part of our world, but yeah. it's no longer, uh, you know, at, at the head of everything. There's a lot of political references I could make here that would be really fitting and funny. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But thankfully, as of a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, it, it feels like the world has been ready to move on from that. And, and it is in their storytelling and how they're approaching it. I think it's kind of why it might make more sense that they're going with the idea of a female bond and it, wouldn't it be interesting to see if, Maybe you're onto something, and they tackle promiscuity from a more cerebral sense and why that's happening. If they even give it to that character at all, would they? And if they didn't, would it be wrong of them not to? So, you know what I'm saying? Like, would that not? Would that be too non-egalitarian, right? Maybe that character should have the same issue. And so I, I think it's
0: interesting to explore it from all those fronts. Yeah, I think I think there might have been some confusion on what I was um, mentioning. I
2: may have time. lost it.
1: I'm no, sorry. I think no. <laughs> I don't think there's confusion so much as we just keep going off on different tangents. I think that you know we we, are, we there's so much to to unearth here. There's a lot
0: to unpack and dig into, but that's how it goes. Well, no, I was just meaning that the. Um, the energies of, um, it's, it's basically, um, the masculine archetypes within it's they're, they're set within each one of us. Uh And so it's not that it's different personalities or different, uh, opinions or different, you know, like, I liked your analogy, seats at the table, but it's more about all of us have these same archetypes. And how we integrate those with the shadow versions of the archetypes is what really allows us to excel and really get to that place of harmony.
1: Um, I think Triple C and I are the wrong guys. I think we need uh, Mike and Juicy J with their <laughs> psych uh, educations in here because you're talking about shadow types, the dweller on the threshold, that kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know well did you about.
0: did you ever hear about um i think it was robert moore um and another person who name escapes me but the, the king the warrior the magician and the lover mm-hmm. that's those those are the preeminent those are the four male masculine archetypes that every male person has but then the the underneath is those shadow version that can cause havoc if we don't properly accept them and integrate them into those those uh what are the if you could explain
2: what the shadow version is so that we understand what is the shadow version of of the magician and the lover
0: yeah the king would be the tyrant or the weakling and then the the warrior would be the sadist or the masticus the magician would be the detached manipulator or the uh, denying innocent one like the martyr the victim the lover would be the addicted lover, um, insatiable taste, um, and then the impotent lover who has not accepted his masculine energies and allowed them to be part of his uh, his sensuality.
2: So, Game of Thrones. We're talking about every character from Game of Thrones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, we went like so deep. I think I just like, <laughs> down the rabbit hole. It just, yeah.
2: Yeah, I but think yeah. when you were when you were making references of of uh, archetypes and getting to through harmoniously, I was thinking in terms of culture and and yeah. society. I wasn't. I, I think
0: I got lost on a different track there, man. I'm sorry. No, it's my. I think I started going into yeah the rabbit hole of of stuff that um, I've been kind of looking at and trying to you know trying to analyze within my own self. Because, you know, I want to be able to, to, to be a pers- a better person, I want to be able to treat people with more respect, um, compassion, um, and obviously look at my biases and my views that I may or may not have had or not really acknowledged or, or try to look at how I can improve, you know, as a male person to, you know. Do you feel like, like Connery uh,
2: represents a, a part of that spectrum? Say, yes, that's oh, yeah. what I was just
1: thinking. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry, what what spectrum
2: I would say do you do you feel like Connery, in terms of what you were saying about uh, the archetypes and their opposites, I mean, where do you think Connery fits in on that spectrum?
0: And I think that's what's interesting is is going back and watching some of these films uh, looking at some of these people that you know we really looked up to and realizing oh maybe their views on certain things especially when it came to to women and females wasn't really something that i want to necessarily be you know it wasn't an aspiration
1: it shouldn't have been or it wasn't ever but they're no longer the um role model because maybe that was wrong so definitely
0: treating women you know kind of uh, as as objects essentially is it's yeah. just there to satisfy his uh, desires you know that's definitely very prominent um you know he is part he is a manipulator so a little bit of that is like what he talk does about Bond or Connery Bond yeah sorry oh. um so that character represents some of those qualities that yeah aren't something that you really want to emulate but i think what we ended up getting wrapped up into and a little bit of the trap is the excitement for those seems very great in the short term but we don't understand that some of those aren't really they they're, they're not applicable to real life or you know if they are there's 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 consequences that we don't realize which obviously we are seeing play out you know these people would take advantage of of women thinking that it was fine other people would look away or not say anything thinking that it was not necessarily a big deal or it wasn't their right to say something or they should get involved and the it's also
2: a fictional character right i mean this is something that it's just that character was written uh early 1900s right and before it ever became a film you know these are these are as far as archetypes or description of the character of bond i think it's from a time that's like i said very beginning of the 20th century you know is and and connery you know i don't i think this i think it's interesting for me because i think the conversation is taking on this search to find the boundary that separates the character of james bond from the actor sean connery and and that's there is right and you you see him taking pieces of that character into other parts that he had but he's definitely the actor and the man and and a man who was 90 when he passed and uh you know he is representing that generation and the way the world was that that is the way the world was at that point in time and you know, it's interesting to kind of try to figure out. I don't, I don't know if he brought that, like, I don't think he took on the role of Bond and was like, you know, it'd be really great if he was a womanizer. Can we write that in? You know, like, I think it was in the script. And then he went in and sort of pulled off the the debonair suave. And I, and I think we were all, um, uh, living vicariously i think a lot of men at that age were living vicariously through james bond characters the man who could do anything the man who could save the day yeah. the man who was attractive and and desired by women who could just take
1: what he wanted like you know there's i just wanted the car with the missiles i mean that was that was i, the wanted, car. The car. I, I car wanted as a kid yeah know. give me that give me the car with the guns
2: yeah i mean that's what <laughs> i thought characters like get smart you know when you have the sort of opposite take on it that is that fair to say is sort of a a a how would you describe that in terms of archetypes when they'll take maxwell smart who's sort of the the short goofy version played by steve carell in the movie right and i think that's that's the funniness of it is that a shadow archetype because i'm not in the know and i think it'd be good to understand
0: yeah, I think there's one. It's the, essentially the dummy, the fool. You know, the you're fool, playing, you're yeah. Playing that um, that role. Pink Panther, man, right?
2: Inspector Clouseau. Was that not? Would you think that was a a take on that same kind of approach? The spoof version of Bond.
0: The exact opposite of suave. Yeah. Yeah, showing the um. Yeah, showing the, the 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 opposite version of that. The absurd version. Yeah. Which almost then leads into satire, essentially, right? The genre of satire yeah. where you're actually showing... You're using that as a method to show uh, absurdity of something.
2: It's it, does it maybe pose the question that in order for that kind of satire to be funny, in order for... Like, it would not be funny without the stature of the character of bond like without bond being a thing are those things at all as hilarious as i mean sure there's physical comedy and whatnot but
1: no they're completely dependent on that right i mean
2: that's that sort of carves that niche out to be able to laugh and you know oh that's not supposed to work he's got a phone in his
0: shoe (laughs) you know yeah No, I guess it's just more of the point of of removing the entertainment aspect of the entertainment is helping in some areas to show us, you know, these human qualities, and then what do we do with those in the real life, you know, Mm -hmm. in the the Mm -hmm. reality, how do we, we find that balance of not being the one extreme or the other extreme, but find like, oh, that made me think of something, how can I, how can I improve upon my perception? Or what, what, or my my the way I move through the world, how I treat others, how I you know interact with with others, how can I be better and how can I evolve? Well, ultimately that's what we hope for, but unfortunately some of us still get stuck in these certain modes of,
2: um, of telling you bond therapies. A mini series that could happen. It's going to do all these things, man. <laughs> it's going to show us how to evolve, how to take it from from the screen to the real world. You know,
0: well, this yeah definitely took a different turn than <laughs> I think all three of us were expecting. <laughs> no, but it's
2: fun conversation. I I, I hope we can all I hope we. I'm having fun. I had a good. I time.
1: thought he was uh, a fantastic uh, King Richard. Was that the in Robin Hood when he popped up at the end of the uh, really bad Kevin Costner film? He's he. Who else could it be but Sean Connery? Like he played that role like over and over. Like who else could it be? but Sean Connery
2: the man who kind of, would be kind of king, king yeah King Richard King Arthur yeah I, I mean played King Arthur he plays you know it's it's he is the uh he's one of those icons of masculinity along he if, if you had a Mount Rushmore of 20th century film masculinity Ooh, that's a good question Ooh, okay. I mean, you have Connery's on there, John <laughs> yep. Wayne, Sinatra.
0: I don't, I don't know. I think. Yeah, and it, again, it's like it's these these pillars, these these icons that you know, like you were saying, you were talking about. They they exude this sort of energy and this this strength that I think we gravitated to a lot because we we felt we felt that was something to emulate because it felt safe. It felt strong against the the face of adversity, and um, I, I think feel like you're
2: touching it, on humanities, man. At this point, well, like, no, like, totally. Yeah. And I think
0: I think that's I think that's what's really interesting about my the the work that I'm trying to accomplish is that I've noticed that that's my the theme throughout everything that I that I'm trying to develop is that it's this potential. I think and, and try to put let's trying to put a nicer note on on a cap on this instead of being so. Um, downcast is that I think we all have this wonderful and beautiful potential to become best versions of ourselves you know that if we do the work the internal work that's necessary that's uncomfortable we reap such greater rewards of becoming um, just greater and better versions of ourselves and that that way that will help us move through the world in much harmonious ways and then our interactions with others and not only that but then that helps inspire other people to to elevate as well and i think that's why these 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 energies we gravitate towards too because they are almost the sense of that potential you know i think where we get trapped and we get stuck a little bit is we don't integrate it properly or we think that's the only thing and then that delves into maybe something a little skewed as that strength then turns into uh, domination you know or that strength then turns into oppression uh, of of someone that we think you know would
2: you think would you describe or or, uh, how like I feel like maybe the fact that if we look back you know like when you describe looking back at some of those older Bond movies And there's cringe worthy moments in them and and old interviews that that also cringe worthy moments the fact that we are feeling that cringe now uh i think on a wider scale if you were to put it out to x amount of viewers do you feel like that is definitive of us taking our lessons from that experience like we're identifying those moments as not good unacceptable and and like we seem to have that, like I think Mitch, you even said, I think we all agree those were cringeworthy things, right? Something
1: to that effect. I'm, yeah, for me, go ahead.
2: No, I'm done. Go ahead, please.
1: Oh, no, Anthony.
0: Oh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead and
1: finish that. <laughs> Everyone's so polite. No, I wanted you to, I wanted you to hear your response to, to, Triple uh, C's question.
0: I think, yes. Yes and no. And, and this kind of goes back to that, that first conversation we had, Mitch, where it's it's almost that strange thing where, you know me, I'm a believer in, you know, time and place in the sense that you hear things, the information arrives to you at the time when you th- are pretty much ready for it, or it may have been happened earlier, but you weren't necessarily ready to take in that information. And it could be very much to Triple C's point where, we are now ready for it. You know, It's becoming cringeworthy because now it's, it's, we weren't listening to the moments in time where something or someone was trying to tell us and we dismissed it. And then it became so apparent where it's like, okay, all right, and the universe kept going along and saying, okay, you're not gonna listen this time, okay? And then now where it is becoming more apparent where we are being faced with it a little bit more extremely. Where it's like, okay, you need to acknowledge this. You need to uh, deal with it. So I think that that could be a good part of what why we're starting to kind of see this and start doing some of this exploration that we may have been putting off, you know, earlier in our lives. But again, I think that goes back to the point that I was trying. I think I was trying to make earlier was that our society, the way it's structured now, doesn't give us good opportunities to do that earlier so when i was talking about boys trans you know moving into manhood properly we don't have the systems and structures in place especially in the current society that we live in that allow that transition to happen appropriately and at the appropriate and in the time that's needed and that's why we end up being stuck maybe with the tendencies of, of boys and with some of yeah. these 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 aspects of, of thinking, oh, this is how I should treat women because, you know, so-and-so did it, you know, or I was growing up and this was the, the model that I needed to follow um, instead of transitioning on that earlier.
2: Well, yeah, I think the will has to be there. I definitely think there's more will now than there was in 1990. You know, I think there's a lot more will now than
0: there was in 1960,
2: you know? Yeah, so, but again,
0: we're, we're, we're in so, uh, um, the family structure has been broken down too. So there's so many families now are one parent, no parent. You know, so Where? where who are the people that are helping uh, the children, you know, move into adulthood, you know, and, and be properly prepared for that next stage and i think that's that's where a lot of the uh, breakdown happens is that we don't have that as much as we we may have used to or you know well i think we may have it but sorry
1: go ahead please oh i was gonna say i think we may have it but it's probably not in the healthiest and best ways the outlets are not probably in the end going to be the most productive in the evolution of as a species as individual cultures across the globe you know who's helping people into adulthood are influencers and things like that and or you know that and there's probably great influencers out there etc but the guideposts are now mm, they're they're probably not the best that they could be hopefully we will evolve there too i haven't lost hope but i do think that it's really interesting that a podcast that is kind of um, ignited by wanting to pay tribute to this, this man, this has passed this great actor, this iconic uh, silver screen superhero. This one singular guy could inspire such deep conversation because of who he was, because of the characters he played. I mean, what a, what an interesting commentary that really is But because of when he was too. Yeah. Yeah, Because of
2: when he was too. Right. I mean, that's also is those, you know, and, i'm with you on the humanities part i think i don't want to jump in mitch i'm sorry i think i didn't know if you were finished my bad no no i'm good um okay uh you know i i think it's a really interesting conversation but if we start getting into you know uh the percentages of families that have a paternal vacuum that's not a new phenomena and there's a lot of ways that it's manifested through I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years. But if we just go to the 1960s, that was the divorce rate wasn't very much different than it was than it is now, you know. So I think that the question is sort of ever present. I think I'm with Mitch about it being influencers in the world around you. Sort of the it takes a village. You know, you have to be able to depend on everybody to have an an agreed upon set of uh, standards for say civility or at least common goals on. On what they're trying to be as a group or as a culture and i think that that's there's been a lot there's always a generational shift it seems but the trajectory is clearly you know one direction right people used to watch gladiators uh go into bloody turmoil for entertainment and and thankfully we just do that in movies and we know it's not real you know so i i i feel like i don't know we got ufc dude we do yeah. but it's not to the death <laughs> have we really death. evolved all that much i'm just saying it's just it's not it's still there it, it's it's still with some a lot more um yeah so you know what i'm saying there there's a lot more standards about uh, security nobody's being captured roped up and thrown into the octagon <laughs>
0: You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd, I'd watch that. I'd watch that movie. I'd watch that movie. Watch
1: that movie. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't.
0: But I, I guess to that point, it's interesting because Dr. No, which is uh, Sean Connery's first uh, James Bond film, was 1962. And we were talking about generational. um GoldenEye was 90. uh What did I say? 95. Mm-hmm. Um, 95. That's a generation but you're seeing the same sort of uh motifs being played out and i think you know that that was my first introduction to bond so i was excited about that bond because it's like okay this is this is this is the model this is exciting i want to be like bond i want to act and uh and move through the world like bond um but that's where some of the trap can find you know, find you is that you know, that's not necessarily the best role model for a youngin' like me at that time. <laughs> but that is what is being displayed to me as as the pro typical that's what a man is. You know, that is somebody who can take charge and who can do whatever he wants. And there's 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 strength in some of that, but then there's also there's there's consequences with that sort of uh that uh I got to tell you the the thing that occurs to
2: me to say here is those things aren't as conceivable to men under 58. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just need to put this into the context, man. Like if you're if you're 55 and watching Bond, you could wear the best tux, the best shoes and everything you want to do. The guy next to you that's six foot four. And I'm not saying this in, a, in an angry way at all. I think it's hilarious, but it's totally true. Like, I, I just, I like the first thing in my head right now is, I bet you Tony's probably a good good six feet or something. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's sitting here talking he about wanting to move with? through the world like Bond. Yeah. I'm like, listen, man, I, I think Bond rode roller coasters a little earlier than I did. You know? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I had to like cruise around LA with this guy, man. it was not easy, it was rough. By the way, great
2: movie idea. Short James Bond with a Napoleon complex sounds like a laugh riot. I would love to see it.
0: Perfect, we'll get Tom Cruise on that right away. Oh, <laughs> oh boy, yeah, I don't, I, I, now I don't, I don't think I know what point i was trying to make with that i'm sorry man (laughs) no no i'm back on my statement though brilliant brilliant (laughs) no i think i think it was just it was interesting it it was trying to i I think i'm just so wrapped up in it too because i'm trying to understand you know as a as a as a man how how do i as a six
1: foot tall man
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah,
2: as a as a bond figured man in the world (laughs) How can I make my roughed, ruggishness (laughs) appear more sensitive like I should be? I really bear the burden of these struggles. I'm so manly, but I don't want to be that manly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) No, I mean, it really does. That's what it really comes down to. How, How can we, you know, take what some of these great, you know, people and men and characters did and you know aspire to some of those qualities but then not allow it to you know make it twist it a little bit where we don't i guess it's more again talking from the male female perspective of how, as a better human being as a man can i treat you know the the, the female counterparts and treat them as uh, compliments as opposed to you know something that we're, you know lord over that's sort of
2: well thing. and I, I would even argue uh, uh as just a simple egalitarian like does bond work as a straight equal guy right without any particular um parlay to yeah. their
1: if you um, just take the good yeah does know, he work
2: or you know is, is, i think we start getting into questions like is strength just strength like you know like so you know, you see a bond type character in that classic uh, Sean Connery style um masculine uh, design, and you put that character in a world where that part of his expression doesn't exist, right? He's not yeah. a chauvinist. He's not a misogynist. He's not a a take advantage. like how I don't know. I I think it's an interesting thing. Uh, It's a furtherment of the discussion to think about how that would affect perception of his character. Yeah. You know, and to to us, right? To us, to to younger than us and to the people that knew him when he came on board in 1962, like if my parents sat down and saw that character, what would they say? You know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and people use those terms very loosely, right? Strong, weak, you know. I I I um I think of this movie often but I'll make this reference here because I think the scene kind of fits what we're saying here cuz I think it's it's defining like masculinity in a way uh De Niro wrote a film called Bronx Tale and it's a classic Italian movie and in there there's a discussion between a kid who idolizes a mob man who's very Dazzling and strong and, you know, mafioso and his dad is a bus driver, hardworking blue collar guy. And in a moment he's he starts saying, you know, his kid says he thinks his dad's the sucker. And De Niro goes into this big spiel about how he's the tough guy. He's the tough guy. He's the strong guy because he does what he has to do every day. And he does it all the time. And I think that that's a big lesson for that boy. And in this example, we're the boy, right? Where it's kind of the nature of, the way I understand it, and maybe wrongly, I'm misinterpreting, but it feels like Connery is that that sunny character that Chaz Terry plays in terms of like Bond and the way that he treats the people around him, the women around him. And I think you're sort of the, the blue collar, you know, that part of you inside is like, no, this is the tough guy. This is the good <laughs> guy. This is the strong guy, not that guy. And finding the way to bridge that that spot is i think it's a you know it's i think that i would be surprised if it's if we ever get to a place where it's not there how much it's there how much it matters i don't know um but i think it's always going to be part of us just because it's part of humanity right it's david and goliath you know you're you can it, you know what i'm saying like there's a a lot of examination into what that strength is and why people are magnetized to yeah that that strong man figure and without again without diving into politics it's clearly still a thing that for whatever reason triggers that reaction that's the strong man yeah and smart enough people go what are you thinking that's not i think you're confusing loud with strong yeah you know and that's that i mean like again you're getting into humanities i think it's a amazing discussion and topic and i am very fascinated with those kinds of things and and there's a lot of personal stories for myself that i could tie into that and i relate to that um but i do think we do it better now than they did in 62 not night and day but certainly uh, better better hopeful i'm hopeful yeah. And I got you out there, man. We're all representing clearly that we're not, you know, out there trying to take advantage of women and whatnot. I think we're we're sort of men of our time now. And we have to represent and be those guys who hopefully if somebody's listening we can help direct them away from being uh something that maybe they shouldn't be. Yeah.
1: One of my favorite quotes that kind of to me is very um, indicative or it's reflective of some of those sentiments and it just sticks with me always is uh, it takes strength to be gentle and kind. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. You're here. Here, here. Well, I appreciate you too. Thank you for joining me and yeah allow me to go down the rabbit hole a little bit with the, uh, the philosophical lines, ruminations, as we like to say,
1: this is exactly what ruminations are. Exactly. <laughs> ruminations. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for having us on, man.
0: So thank you for uh, joining us too. Uh, dear listeners, um, definitely check us out on the ruminations, radio network.com for, uh, this podcast. Um, And for many, many other podcasts that are, we're just, we're just, I think we're just starting hitting the ground running. But we're just getting getting it. It's been really nice. I just listened to the uh, Robocop episode last night over at uh, Retro Futurist, and yeah, it was really nice hearing those guys. Doesn't
1: it make you just want to watch the movie like immediately? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It's a
0: great episode. Oh. yeah, I really thoroughly enjoyed it, but totally, I need to, I need to find that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: let's all go if, read it right now. If you're a digital person, I think it's it's cheap on a lot of the, uh, the it's like vendors out there. To, yeah, on YouTube or something. It's really
0: yeah. good. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, so, dear listeners, please uh, subscribe, rate us on wherever you find your favorite podcasts, and definitely keep in touch with us uh, through all the socials. <laughs> Uh, you can reach me at um basically all my socials are the same anthony pavlich um but yeah thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next time time. thanks thank you